Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a whole new episode of Full Seam Ahead. I'm your host, Zoe, with my co-partner in crime over there, Mr. Cantu. How's it going? And we have a special guest in the house, episode 149. We're going to title this Morgan Innsberg, 1998 All-American, 1998 National Champion with the USC Fighting on Trojans. 2005 All-Star, 2005 Silver Slugger, finished fourth in the NLV MVP race. Uh, 2019 Southern League Manager of the Year for the AA Mon uh, Montgomery Biscuits. And Tampa Bay Ray Employee of the Year for 2019. Morgan, welcome to the show. Hey, good to see you guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, man. Just being with you is a true honor getting yeah. to talk to you. Of course, I remember back in our days... We were watching you growing up in the 2005 from the Killer Bees uh, to that yeah. magnificent 2005 run. I mean, our childhood was made because of you. I think it's pretty cool. You know, I think it's 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 really cool. I, um, you know, grew up. I, I had a really great time in Houston, and I was really loved by the fans. And I think that has largely to do with. Um, the way I was taught to play. And I think the way that Bagwell and Biggio played, and it was a very easy environment for me to play in because that's how I was taught how to play. And it, what I do know about Houston and what I know about Houston fans is that if you truly try, meaning try where like you don't give up, it doesn't mean that you're going 150%. But I mean, if you truly try and, and run hard and, and never give up, they will, they will love you. They will boo you like <laughs> when you stink. And I understand that. And I've been booed and it hurt. But overall, they never thought that um, I didn't give effort. And for that, you know, they loved me and, and I loved them. But it's pretty cool that you guys get a chance to to talk with people that you saw growing up. It's, yeah. it's a very, we're very lucky to be in this sport. We're very lucky. So you talked about the fan base in Houston. I know you played in New York. How does that fan base differ from Houston and New York? I, look, I think, I think that New York has, has, um, it's different, right? It's a different, because it's a different culture, right? We have, we have, 50 countries in our state, in, in our, in our country, right? Like our mm -hmm. states originally are designed to be their own countries. And when you look at the size of our country, that's a whole nother area with a, with a different culture, not better or worse. It's just a different culture. The culture, you know, up there is, is I think much more animated. You know, I think that the, the 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 fans of Houston are extremely passionate and by no means reserved not that at all extremely passionate but i don't i didn't feel um the sharpness of critique the sharpness meaning it still hurt you know listen make no mistake about this we absolutely hear you I absolutely, I can hear you. Like when you, I can hear you when you are on the, tr the third deck. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm telling you when you yell Ensberg, you're awful or something much worse. Trust me. I can hear you. And you know, that stuff hurts, you know, because I think that so much of baseball players and I'm, I'm speaking of myself, but I think, you know, listen, we, we do a lot of work of trying to separate our worth with our performance. And mm -hmm. so much of our worth growing up had been tied into our performance, not from our parents, but just from your self-worth. So when you're hitting well in a player's mind, a lot of times, at least in mine, it was like, you're a good person. And when you're terrible and we stink a lot because this is a hard game. The majority of time we are awful. Like we are just, we're just like, you're trying to stay afloat. And when you're not doing well, you, you feel like you're a bad human, like in a sense, you know, you're, you're, you're not playing to your potential and, and it hurts. But I would say this too, both 
both of those cultures, the Yankee and, and, and Houston cultures are very similar. They love their team. You know, they love their team. And I'll tell you, I absolutely love playing in front of both. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think that, you know, I was in Houston longer and I felt like, I felt like Texans specifically made me feel a part. Um, I will never be, you know, a Texan cause I, I wasn't born there and I know that's a very important thing, but to be a kid from LA, which might as well be, that's not good. Like, you know, in, in Texas, that's not, that's not, that isn't necessarily a good thing, but I'm getting the chills right now. Um, but they, they really embraced me and, and I love them for it. I love, I love them. I love those fans. Definitely. I mean, you show all the fans. I mean, I, I, like you were saying, sometimes they're going to boo you, but sometimes, you know, they reminisce just thinking about it right now, reminiscing back to those days from 2005. I mean, the first time hosting a World Series at MMA Park ever in its franchise history, that was very important. You like you were a huge part of it. So, you know, for for us, I mean, at least for me, that's a huge thank you, you know, to be able to experience something like that as well. Loved, loved to be a part of it. I was very proud of that team. You know, when you look at that team, that was a homegrown team. Yes, we had we had obviously, you know, well, first of all, let's let's be clear. You know, we had, you know, Roy. And we had Brad Lidge and we had Brandon Backey and Wandy Rodriguez. Like those were the pitchers like that had come up um, through the system. And if you look at, at the lineup, it was very much of it was homegrown, you mm-hmm. know, uh, obviously we had rocket and we had Pettit, you know, and that that's, it's huge, but that, that team was a homegrown team. And so we were very proud that we, we got that team because that wasn't supposed to be, you know, we were 15 and 30 to start. I mean, we were we were awful. Got a tombstone on the newspaper was oh, already <laughs> brutal. Well, we'll talk I've about never that. Seen it... A reaction. I've I've never <laughs> seen a reaction in a clubhouse like that. I've never, I, you know, because normally we're just like, well, of course, you know, like like that. But that one, that one, that one stung. Okay. Let, well, so let's start right there then. Through the fifty games. This was the record. The Astros were 18 and 32 through the first 50 games. No one thought, no one, absolutely no one thought they were going to make at least a wild card or even try to fight for the division. But of course, like we're talking about, like Angel was saying with that tombstone, it read and it stated the cold, hard truth, RIP Astro season. What were your immediate thoughts looking at the cover of the Houston Chronicle that day when you saw it? It, you know, I, I didn't see it until I got to the club. You know, I'm not, I'm not opening up the paper and not, you know, I, listen, I, I think the reason why I had a good relationship with not only the fans, but with media was because I just kept it separate, right? Mm-hmm. I just, whatever is said is, is said. And over time, you're going to get an understanding of the type of person that I am, right? Like at any point, I'm either great or awful. There's nothing really in between. And the majority of the time you're terrible, like meaning just the perception, like you just uh, struck out again or got out or what, you know, swing the bat. Um, but that particular one, I, I would say it's the only time in my life where I was, I was not, I wasn't angry in the sense of somebody did something, you know, so egregious. It was very true. We were a very honest team, um, but that one stung and I just, the whole team was just like not okay with it. And uh, I do think it was a small catalyst. Like, I think it, it definitely jolted us, but we did know that we had a good team. I don't think I would have told you at that point that we would have gone to the world series. Like, I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know the future, but I definitely thought um, I've never seen a reaction on any team. I've been on, you know, the Padres, the Yankees and Houston. I've never seen a reaction like that meaning to a article like it was people were hot well i mean it driven y'all 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 made it yeah. to the, y'all it, play, it, made it the playoffs it y'all made it to the world yeah, yeah i mean it worked i mean it, for sure it, it worked so it was, <laughs> yeah, take, it was we can think for uh jesus for that one <laughs> no no actually actually i know this i know this. he didn't want it yeah like yeah, he, yeah, he, he did like us. in fact he he told he he had later down, you know, he, he, because, because Jesus is, was, Jesus is incredible, is incredibly fair, like, inc- like, incredibly fair, very honest, calls it like he sees it. 
And you have to understand that you just can't take it so personal. And again, this is where you have to disconnect between. He's not talking about us or me as, as humans, as people, right? They're not talking about your self-worth. They're, they're saying you're good sometimes and you're not good other times. I mean, I think that he definitely is the definition of hard and fair. I think I was treated extremely fairly. Like, I think he called it like he saw it. But we know that we know that he didn't. Yeah. We knew we knew he didn't. And we know that they don't do the headlines. You know, they do the articles and the editorials. We know they don't do the, or the graphics. Yeah. Definitely. Hey, do you want to go on that one? Um, no, I'll go ahead and go with your next question. Oh, okay. Well, okay. Well, with the next one, um, since we're on the 2005 topic still, uh, team MVP. I mean, that's a huge accomplishment. I would say, uh, batted 283, 36 home runs, 101 RBIs. Um, you, you kind of spoke on it a little bit earlier with, uh, with that Astros team in 05, but tell us a little bit more deeply, how special was that run in 2005? You're, you know, already saying with Biggio, Bagwell, Rocket, Pettit. Um, but Berkman, Tavares, I mean, Bruntlett, Everett, I mean, all these other guys that came into par. How special was that run with that 2005 Astro team? What's interesting about that team is, um, well, one, I mean, look, let, let's be real, real clear here. We could pitch and we could defend and we could hit just enough um, to get us some wins, but we could pitch and we could defend. And the difference is, even though that was a, a, a younger team, a team that was, didn't have as much experience at one end, and then we had you know, the veteran guys at the other end, the one thing is because it was a, a homegrown system, we had been playing together. Like we had been, that team in the big leagues had been playing together for years, right? Mm-hmm. I came up with Roy and Brad, you know, like, like you know, Brad Lidge, Roy Oswald. We had played together. Um, all those guys, Jason Lane, right? And and let's just be real. Let's just be real clear. Like you have Bagwell and Vigio. Like let's just be like very clear. You had a manager in Phil, and then you had two managers in Bagwell and Vigio, and then Osmus was behind the plate, who also was a manager. And and those guys were leading that team out there and and kind of leading the way. They would be kind of the first the first couple guys through the door, and then the rest of us would kind of kind of push and ram our way, you know, through that door. Uh, but it was a very, a very special year where a lot of, a lot of things went well. Yeah. I mean, like we were talking about, I mean, if you really look back and go deep into them games in the world series against the white Sox, y'all were there punch for punch. It just came oh. to that clutch hit and, and the white Sox eventually did you know, have that clutch gene in them. But I mean, shoot, every game was close back and forth. Uh, game two, I've, uh, I was watching some of the highlights yesterday, actually, with Vizcaino with two outs coming in and coming with the clutch hit, bringing in uh, Chris Burke to tie the game. So, I mean, that, that I remember. I, I remember specifically. I, I remember specifically. There was a bases loaded situation with two outs, and I remember absolutely smoking a ball. I mean, smoking a ball on a line drive in the five-six hole. And Joe Creedy reaches his glove out and catches it. And I'm telling you, I can't hit a ball harder. Like that ball is getting through. I just, my aim was terrible. Right. And, you know, you get something like that and, and, you know, the game would have been, you know, blown open. It was just, it was a, you're right. I think the best description is punch for punch and they were on fire. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were just absolutely on fire. We were on fire too, but it's just, they just, eked it out it was a frustrating series definitely i mean like i said i mean a lot of games were just by one run but that that's the beauty of this game is baseball they had said it was like the 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 lowest margin of losses i think at, at that point like i don't know if it's different today but that that was the lowest margin of victory you know like oh, wow. you know everything was just yeah it was just it was you know you're so close yeah, definitely. Incredible yeah. experience, but it was it was it was tough. Oh, I bet. I mean, you got to compare that. I would say you could compare it to the '98 championship team with USC because that's a College World Series playing over there in Omaha, the the old stadium as well. Um, so I think you had to compare. I I can see you can compare that easily with that. 
Yeah, that team, that that USC team, we had I think 13 guys drafted off that team. Uh, I think three of us had had made it. Uh, that was an incredible team as well. And that team actually was very similar to the 2005 team in that, except for I was the veteran. You know, the the, mm-hmm. the kind of leadership there was was the veteran. That was our our last year, and we had been playing together for four years. And that was an incredibly talented college baseball team, and there were a lot of similarities. And look. There are just a lot of similarities in, in winning teams, you know, and there's a culture and there's an expectation and the bar is very high and you expect it from not only the coaching staff kind of setting the tone in terms of, of what the expectations are and then players holding it, each player accountable. And that's one of the lessons learned in, in learning how to win because you learn how to win. It is a skill. It is, you learn how to win. I've been very fortunate in, in my career uh, in being on winning teams. And, um, you know, I've never been on a, a losing team in basketball, baseball, or soccer um, as a, you know, as a player. And each one of those teams had very similar parts to it. And a lot of that was expectations, working hard, and uh, holding each other accountable. And, and I teach that today to our players. And I think that's one small reason. The, the number one reason is because we have great players. Mm-hmm. But a small reason is because I've learned how to set the bar. I've learned an environment that makes me and the coaches good coaches, and then try to provide an environment that gets the players. The way I describe it is I try to get the players to play, not with their hair on fire, but their hair is always smoldering. It's it's, or if you look at like downhill skiing, those guys are just barely in control. Like they're just, I mean, they're barely one small step and they kind of fly off the mountain. And uh, that's something that's learned. And it's very difficult to do, but you have to be consistent with those expectations. Awesome. I mean, before we get to your coaching, um, you know, tenure, talk to us about the St. Louis Cardinals and the Houston Astros rivalry back in those 2000 days. Because 2004, it was very close from y'all again to the World Series. Now, that, actually, that team was with. I believe it was with Jeff Kent, Carlos Beltran, a young Carlos yeah. Beltran as well. Um, obviously, the the Cardinals would go on to play the Red Sox, but 2005, y'all got y'all revenge and were able to move on to the next round. So talk yeah. to us about that rivalry real quick. That that rivalry was one with the ultimate respect. It was not a bad. It was it was not a bad blood rivalry, but it was one where you you very much respected the opposition, but it was a knockdown drag out every single time. And we would kind of joke between each other, like, look, we're, we're both trying to rip each other's heads off. It's a violent, like the, the, you're not trying to hurt anybody. You're, you're not, you, you know, nothing like that, but it's a, it's a, it's, it's at a very aggressive uh, style of baseball. And we would always joke. I swear, I t- I'm telling you every other week you feel like you're playing the Cardinals, you know, and also they're in Jupiter. Uh, we were in Kissimmee at the time and um, we're playing them in spring training. We're playing them during the season. We know that they're good. They know that we're good. It was a very healthy, respectable rivalry, but both sides wanted to crush the other side. It was a great rivalry. It was really two really good teams and you knew it was going to come down to an at bat, you know, a play, and that was going to be the difference. Yeah, Chris Carpenter, uh, prime God, Albert Pujols, yeah. Jim Edmonds. Yeah. I mean, all those guys. Um, David Eckstein. You know, we oh, knew yeah. we knew Eckstein. if we. So here's the funny part about that team. In in my opinion, the pitching was outstanding. Isringhausen's closing. I mean, they, very good, very good teams. Um, but we knew that if we could keep the the whole key to those games were keeping David Eckstein off the bases. If you can keep David Eckstein from getting on base the offense really not shut down, but he was really, I think the cornerstone, which is, I think a little surprising to people, right? Like, mm-hmm. well, no, you have Pujols and Edmonds and, you know, Sanders. And I mean, you've got, you, you've got a lot of good players, but it wasn't that it, it was, I mean, yes, they were going to do their damage, but you had to keep Eckstein off the, off the bases. And if you kept him off base, you, you, you were going to win. I feel like Eckstein was one of those pesky hitters, you know, that puts the yeah. great at bats every yeah. single time. Great at bats. Yeah. I mean, what? he's an excellent, excellent player. Excellent player. And and we really felt like if we keep him off 
we're good because pools is going to hit. I'll tell you, I, 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 I hope you guys feel lucky um, to have seen that guy hit. And I also mm-hmm. think, I think you guys and the fans of Houston are extremely fortunate to have seen Bagwell, Biggio, and Berkman. I mean, Berkman is the best hitter I've ever played with. Bagwell and Biggio, all three of them, in my opinion, are Hall of Fame caliber like players. Uh, and and Lance Berkman is one of the most incredible hitters I've ever seen. He is absolutely incredible and extremely high baseball IQ, like extremely high. Um, excellent clubhouse guy. Bagwell, Biggio, excellent people. Excellent people. They are what you think. They are good people. And they really set kind of the tone for how we played. And I really believe that that's the reason why we had success. One of the best switch hitters in my eyes, I'd say. I, you know, the you guy, have Carlos Beltran right there, but Lance Berkman, I feel, is such an underrated switch hitter. Um, because if you the remember, the guy's incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, he hit the ball. I, so, so first of all, Carlos Beltran put together the most incredible season, like when he was with us, like the two oh, months yeah. that he was with us and and playoffs. That was the most incredible couple months of baseball out of a single player I've ever seen. He, he was, what people don't realize is that guy was flying. Like that guy was fast. Mm-hmm. And we had Willie Tavares who had 80 infield hits. So we had two absolute jets. We had two jets. And if they get on base, they're getting the third. They are just that fast. That Carlos Beltran run was one of, was the most incredible thing I've, I've ever seen. That two months or two and a half months, or I guess three months of baseball was was incredible. Definitely. I 100% And agree. they're playing different. Th- those guys, just let's be real clear here. Like, you know, your Bagwell, your Biggio, your Berkman, uh, Roy, Brad, um, Rocket, Pettit. These guys, they're different. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they, I'm not one of those guys. I mean, I have ability. I, you know, I, I have, I have ability, but those guys are playing on a different planet and it's so inspiring to play around. And I think, I think it helps you play up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I, you have your superstars, but you also need those cornerstone players in order to win, you know, one through nine of the lineup. It's not going to be like basketball with the isolation, one-on-one kind of thing. It's not going to be like football. You're going against you and the cornerback. Baseball, it's one through nine. Bunt, get them over. It's one through nine. You're, you're absolutely right, and everybody has to do it. It's an individual sport played by a team, right? It's Each, each person is doing an individual action at the time, but coming together, you know, you can't set a pick. Right. Like you can't run up. You can't necessarily run a play that's all of a sudden going to, like you said, like ISO, like it's, it's, it's not how it works. And you need one through nine. You know, and by the way, this is back in the day when pitchers hit, you know, and, you know, they've got to get bunts down and they have to do their job and not be just a complete out They're They're outs, but they have to hopefully have productive at bats. Yeah. yeah I mean, and you, you have, have to have to- a bench. In the, in the National League, you have to have a bench. And I'll tell you, I feel very fortunate that I basically grew up playing National League baseball because the way I see a game, even though we use the H now mm-hmm. uh, on both sides, you know, American and National League, I think just having grown up in that National League baseball game, it's more complex. You have double switches. You have an understanding of how to use your bench. And that has ended up becoming incredibly valuable as I've become a manager, even though we use a DH. Yeah. So that was a great insight of taking us into that team, that the mindset 25 team. But let, you know, this is an Astros podcast. We're like talking about current Astros and you play with Hall of Famers like Craig Bidger, like you said, Jeff Bagwell. How does Jose Altuve compare to them? Um, I... I actually believe Jose Altuve has a capability to be a Hall of Fame player, but what's your input? Jose Altuve is one of those guys. He is absolutely one of those guys. And if you look, like, he just does everything correctly. He plays the game correctly, and there's a, it's, it's a, a quiet confidence. And he runs hard. You know, I really look at how players run. I, I, I make my judgments a lot of times – uh, because that gives us a snapshot into your character. 
your character, you know, and it's not necessarily when you stretch uh, a double or stretch a triple. It's when you know you're going to be out. When you know you're going to be out, how is that player going to respond? And our teams in Houston, because of Bagwell and Biggio and because of the culture, at least, that I grew up with out west and the coaches I had, we had been sprinting since we were 13. You know, 12 years old or 13, you run hard. West Coast baseball is, is much more small ball because our, our fields out here in the marine layer, are, our fields are much bigger. And you need to learn how to generate runs. But there was a culture out west uh, when I was growing up where you play really hard, dirt bag baseball, hard and fair. And when you know that you're going to be out, are you still sprinting? Listen, Jose Altuve has, has all of the ingredients. I think he's a Hall of Fame player, absolutely, like 100%. And I couldn't think of a better person to lead a team than him. I think he, I think Bregman's outstanding. You know, as a third baseman, like I think, I think the way he, both those guys go about how they love baseball and how much it means to them, but how they perform form uh, I think is is excellent I think I think Altuve has a very unique ability to put the barrel on the ball that cannot be taught that is something he has hand-eye coordination that for some reason he's capable of seeing the baseball and he's able to line that baseball up with the barrel and uh, when you do that and he's got he's very strong you know I mean he's 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 small in stature but he's extremely strong and those are dangerous combos Absolutely. And I know you're with the Durham Bulls right now. I'm sure you're uh, getting yourself situated. And I don't know if you watch a lot of Astros baseball, or even Major League Baseball in general. But looking at this Astros team, they were one, they've been to the AOCS for a few years in a row now. They're one game away from the World Series again. Do you think, they, do you think they're complete? Because I know the Mariners are getting better. The Rangers are the... World Series champions, do you think they have enough to make another run for the World Series, or you think they're missing a key player? I do. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I do. I think that the the Astros are in an, a really good spot. I don't know the Astros team as well as I used to. Mm-hmm. Um, being a minor league manager, you don't get a chance to see games mm-hmm. and so forth, but I still know, you know, I coached those guys coming up, you know, and um, they are excellent players and I think that they've really meaning the front office I think ownership I they understand winning and they understand their team very well it's not like they don't know what they have they know what they have if there is a move that needs to be made I'm I'm confident that that move would be made this listen the other thing too is like this is this all starts with ownership you know I mean like I realize that you have a manager. I, I realize that you have players, but it's so true that it's the top of the top, you know, like that's how you develop a winning culture. And um, I think Jim Crane is, is, is excellent. You know, I think that he's a winner. And I think also there is a competitiveness. I think there's a competitiveness um, with him without a panic. You, you don't want your you, you don't want your owner to panic because um, if your owner panics, your GM's going to panic, your manager's going to panic, and if that happens, the team's going to fold. Like it's you're going to feel it. Trust me, we feel ownership. We feel it. So I think the Astros will be competitive personally as as long as is Jim Crane's owning owning the team. Awesome. Definitely. And then like Angel was t- uh, talking about with the Bulls. Uh, congrats. Congratulations on getting yeah. that promotion to manage the triple A bull. You're moving up through the farm system now. <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 I'm climbing my way back. You know, I think, you know, you see a lot of things in baseball where guys have come from playing or guys have come, um, you know, in the, in the radio or TV booth and, and go out there and become major league managers. That's not something that I didn't have an opportunity to do that. Um, I'm somebody that requires a traditional education. And part of that also is that, you know, if I could choose my education, it would be how it's going right now, where I have managed short seasons left like rookie ball. I've managed a ball. I've managed double A, and now I'm going to get a chance to manage triple A. And each one of those, you're experiencing players in different parts of their 
of their development. And you coach differently according to where you are. And there's, um, again, the environment is similar in the sense that I'm, I expect them to play at an extremely high level. And I do not care that this is their second year of Pro Bowl. Like, I, I just, I don't care. I care about the work. I care about players being serious as a heart attack in how they practice. And I expect them to play at a certain level every single day. And I talk to them about our goal is to make it that you are capable of playing at 80% of your ability absolutely at all times. At all times, you're able to play at 80% of your ability. And um, that has been because of um, my education, you know, my traditional education. And also, I think in order to be successful at the big league team, you have to understand how the machine works, right? It is a giant machine. And had I gone, had I had the opportunity to go as a player to become a manager or, or go from, you know, the TV booth to become a manager, I do not believe that I would have found success. Meaning, I, I, you, I, you just don't, I wouldn't have understood the giant machine and what is required in order to make a successful, consistent product year in and year out. I require, um, I need to make mistakes and I need to learn. And that's what you do. When you're in the minors, even if you're in rookie ball, you have to be sitting in that managerial seat to understand what's going on. It's, if you're a coach, it's not that you can't do it, but you have to practice being in that seat because it's different. And make no mistake about it. When things are bad, that's when they're looking at you the most. Players don't need me or our coaches when everything's going well. You need me when the wheels have fallen off, when the plane is going down. That's when you need the coaches and the managers. Definitely. I 100% agree because, like you were saying, too, everybody's going to fail, and that's the only best way to actually learn and get better at something is by failing and learning from your mistakes. And it's a fine line, right? Because like you have to, you're, you're sitting there and you have to be consistent. I tell our players, you know, early on, you know, yeah, listen to me, but listen to me with a grain of salt. And, and I'm not suggesting like, don't listen to a word that I'm saying, but I'm saying, I do say, I'm like, don't listen to a word. I'm saying, watch my actions, watch my actions day in and day out. And then you can slowly start trusting the words that are coming out of our mouth. And it's easy to have all the right answers when everything's going well. But again, you really test yourself and test your leadership when things aren't going well. And that's why it's, for me, it's so important to go station to station. And I would love to be a main league manager one day, but I want to be properly prepared. And the Rays have been absolutely incredible. They have dumped, I, I'm telling you, they have put so many, I'm talking years, years of help training me and it's constant. And being with the Astros during the rebuild and being with the Rays, I'm telling you, I've been, <laughs> I've, I've been living in the future for 10 years, right? Like I've been literally seeing baseball change and, and in the future, but the Rays have put so many years of teaching me and encouraging me and helping me and critiquing me. And the Rays are an incredible organization. Um, I think that people see on the outside uh, an extremely analytical club. And we are analytical. I mean, there, there's no mistake about it. But I think that the core values are very much rooted in traditional baseball. And I think that people would be surprised to be on the field and how we're actually teaching the game. And I think that those principles will would would have worked in 1923. It would have worked in 1964, you know, and it works today in teaching technique, teaching how to win a game, teaching the different things that you need to do to find success. But again, the most important thing and the thing that, that I think I, I do the best is connect with the players and create an environment that allows them to fail. And I encourage them and they're not afraid to fail. If you can get players to not be afraid to fail, they're incredible.
100% agree. And like you were saying with baseball uh, coaches, Jason Lane, third base coach with the Milwaukee Brewers. Brad Austin yeah. just got the bench coach over there with uh, the New York Yankees. And, then, of course, you got Lance Bergman, the head coach at Houston Baptist University. Tell it's us. Did... Say it again? It's ACU yeah. now. It changed. Oh, ACU. Yes. I'm sorry about H- that. Yeah, he's a Christian. So tell hey, what us. What is ACU? You... Houston yeah, um, Christian, right? Christian University. So they changed the name. It used to be Houston Baptist University. Now it's Houston Christian University. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We're back. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so All tell right. us, I got did it. You, I'm, did... I'm up to speed. Did you ever think about coaching after your baseball career? And you kind of already had mentioned this, but do you see yourself managing a big league team in the future? Like some of these guys. So I always knew that when baseball was done, that I I knew very early on that my calling was coaching. And listen, I am so thankful for my career. I was, you know, a walk on uh, at USC. You know, that was a, my, my dad at age nine, I had a, I had a game in little league where I was upset probably cause I got out and you know, like when you're young, you don't get out. And I was really, you know, upset. And he, I remember being in the car and we're driving home. He goes, son, he goes, son, you know, you, you don't have to be so hard on yourself. You're not going to be a professional athlete. Like professional athletes don't come from Hermosa. He said, you know, you're going to go to college. You're going to have a family. You're going to have a great job. He's like, have fun, son. And I was like, you know what? You're right. My dad, my parents were incredible, right? Like always encouraging. My mom was at every practice. You know, I was, you know, that's something that I don't think you see today. Like she would, she would be sitting, you know, down. I was the only kid, right. That had like their mom at practice. Cause we used to only practice for like an hour and that's not enough time to go do something. So she'd be reading her book and stuff. I always had a parent or a grandparent at every single game growing up and um, that support, but it was the only rule that we had. We had two rules. It was one, if you commit to it, you have to finish out the season. You don't have to play next year if you don't want to, but you have to do it. And then if you're going to play, we come from both sides of my parents are, are Norwegian, right? Like, so we're, we're Norwegian and, and, and part of, you know, our family and our culture is that you, play and work hard and there's this story we have in our family and i won't get into it too long but essentially my dad at age eight was with his grandpa and his grandpa was 80 years old grabbing hay and throwing it up on you know a truck Mm -hmm. and he said all right martin your turn and my dad's trying to pick up an 80 pound barrel of, you know, he can't do it. Yeah. And so his grandpa comes up and throws up and he looks at him. So my dad's eight, my, his grandpa's 80. And he looks at him and he says, Martin, we work and then we die. And, and oh, so man. we, we are workers. We are workers. And I knew that although I'm very thankful for my playing career and those experiences, I knew I was, I was born to coach. I had always been a coach. I'm a teacher. My mom was, was a teacher. And so I'm a teacher. Oh, so you inherit those skills from your mom. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I coach exactly how my mom is more popular in this area than I am. They don't even really know me, but, but all the kids, you know, you know, she runs into them all the time. She, she taught and, and she's like famous here, um, you know, amongst that, that little circle. And, and yes, I would love, to be in the big leagues coaching. I would love to be a manager. What's interesting, I think about me is I can picture it. Like when, and and it was the same thing. I've always been able to picture myself, uh, even as a player, I could imagine myself having success. I, I don't mean to do it, but I can see myself. I can actually see myself where I'm detached and I'm watching myself hit or I'm watching myself play do it. I can watch myself manage. I can watch myself walking down halls, being in the clubhouse, talking to players, being on the field, talking and interacting with players. I can see myself doing that. And I would love to do that one day. However, I have no control over that. And what's most important to me, my muse is, is Brian Snitker, right? Because that guy had been managed forever and I don't know him. You know, I know Troy, his son, who's the hitting coach and so forth, but I, I, I don't know Brian, Brian Snitker, but that's the person that it's just sort of kind of my muse and stuff. And, and I just have this 
perception that he's seen everything. And, and that's what I want to be. I want to be somebody who has put the time in, done the work, kind of done it the blue collar way. And um, that's very important to me. And if it happens, I'll be very thankful. I can see myself being a major league manager, um, just meaning in a sense, visualizing it, but I don't know if that's going to happen. And that's okay. Because I know that I'm exactly where I need to be at the time. And I know that I'm impacting players in a meaningful way. And that means a lot to me because I care so much. I want all these guys to get to the big leagues and have success. I desperately, I desperately want these players to play in the big leagues. Desperately. Because it's incredible. It's the most incredible experience you can have as a player. Oh, you could definitely see it. I mean, they've already, I think it was your first year with Montgomery, and then you got the call up to AAA with the Durham Bulls. Man, you're, you're getting there, and I think you're going to be a fabulous coach in the MLB level because you're seeing all these guys coming up, and they're having a lot of success as well. I think that it's, a, it's, a, it, it's really just a testament to the other coaches and experiences that I've had, you know, and um, I have been taught how to win. And I know how to teach winning. And so all I'm doing, I, I tell people and tell players, you know, I, I do have original thought and I have ideas and my mind definitely is a baseball mind, but I'm a great copier and I'm very good at learning and I'm good at learning from mistakes. And I say, you know, I'm going to make every mistake once, but the goal is not to make it twice. I'm going to make every mistake. I'm going to make every single mistake. But I need to go through that to learn from that. And you know what? If it happens, it happens. But I just know that I'm always exactly where I need to be. Definitely. You're going to get there soon. But before we end our show, let's do a little bit of trivia with you. Let's see. Let's see if you oh, still Lordy. remember those days. <laughs> let's see if you still got it. Okay. Okay. So. Let's, I, don't, I, I feel like I'm terrible <laughs> at trivia. I'm good at geography. Can we do geography? I can tell you where Zaire is. <laughs> Where is it? It's in Africa. It's like in the center of Africa. Oh, nice. See, I would have not known that. And I can picture. I can see that. I can see the way the the country's shaped. I know where Chad is. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I, I I love geography and and stuff. But okay, let's see if I know. I'm I have a a, a, a sneaky su su uh, sense that uh, that I'm not going to know these, but let's do it. All right. Question number one. I think it's a little simple. It could possibly remember in the back of your head, maybe. Who did you hit your home run off of in the World Series? Mark Burley. Correct. Mark Burley and I remember is the that. right answer. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that because, you know, it's interesting. In, in my career, and fans will remember this, I can get hot. So, like, I can, I, can, I can get hot and then – you know, I can get cold too, but I can get hot. And up until that point in, in September, on September 10th, I think, I got hit by Brett Myers with a fastball and, and my hand just like swelled up. I didn't break it, but I hit the pad. I, uh, you know, and, and, and so I was out for, you know, probably five or six days letting it heal and stuff. And I hadn't hit a home run in like almost 100 at bats. And the, the, a reporter had asked me that the day before. And I said, yeah, I just, you know, I, you know, it happens. And the next day I remember, and I remember him throwing the pitch. It was a fastball. And I remember hitting it to left field. And ironically, my parents were, they, they just missed it by about 15 feet. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. They were, they tried to get the ball, but the guy's like, no, all right. Ah, them, them Chicago natives over there. <laughs> Dang it. All right. Question number two, you finished fourth in the national league MVP race. Do you remember who were the top three in front of you? Bonds, Pujols, Abreu. Uh, it was so. It was actually Albert Pujols, Andrew Jones, and Derek oh. Lee. Oh, it was Derek uh, Lee? I thought it was Abreu. Abreu was fourteenth. Bobby Abreu was fourteenth that year. Okay, so who was it? It was it was Bonds. No, it was Lee. Albert Pujols was yep. uh, won it. Andrew Jones and Derek Lee. Oh, Andrew Jones. Okay, wow. Yeah, those are good. I don't know why I was up there. Those guys are way better than me. <laughs> oh, he hit 36 home runs, 101 RBIs. So. It was a good year. Yeah, great year. <laughs> so, obviously, I don't know if you remember, you did have six home runs consecutively. One home run in each game. I don't know if you remember that. Okay, 
can you tell us the teams at least? If you could give us the pitchers, that'd be even better. But can you remember the teams that you hit those home runs off of? I think it started in Chicago with the Cubs. I think I hit a home run on the road to start it, I think. So maybe the Cubs. And then was it the Pirates? Was it the Cubs and Pirates? No, it was. I mean, the Pirates were close, but it was the Diamondbacks. Zach Duke. Zach Duke. I think I hit the sixth. Actually, it wasn't. It wasn't it was Chris Capuano. Uh, Capuano. Okay. Chris and he Capuano. was on the yeah, Brewers. So it, it was the Diamondbacks and the Brewers that you did. Diamondbacks the, the, and the Brewers. Yes. So you're, you ended your sixth home run on April 19th. April 21, or actually, let me see if I'm doing the, net, the math right. One, two, three, four. Actually, y'all might have had an off day on that day. So it was Pirates. They were the last ones, actually. So my mistake on my part, but yes, Zach Duke and the Pittsburgh Pirates. You Man, you got that one actually correct. Yeah, no, that's, that's impressive. Yeah, I got. I didn't know. I didn't know it was the 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 Diamondbacks, but I I think I remember it was it was the Pirates. Yeah, that was the Pirates to end it. Um, but one more question, and this one's really not a trivia. I got to get my bat for this one real quick. I mean, it's just right here. Do it. Get the bat. You got. You got to talk to us. You got to talk to us about this stance, man. Your stance. <laughs> it was like this, but when yeah. you make contact. That ball went a long way. Tell us the background on your your hitting stance. What what started you know with the leg out, the arms out? What what started that? Who who got you there? So that is just, I mean, listen. At the end of the day, my 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 biggest strength. So your strengths are your weaknesses, right? Like, mm -hmm. uh, and my biggest strength was that I could see the ball. I have always been able to see the ball, and I'm talking like when I see the pitcher. I can see is I can see the pitcher's thing. I can see the the ball. I can see it have like a knuckle up. I can see it's incredible. Like it's it's really it was by no choice of my own. I mean, I it was it was I can do. And then I am, despite what you know, I am a much more like athletic player. And everything prior to contact is pitcher timing. Okay, and even though. I, I, you know, I was born physically strong, like I'm a big guy. Um, but when I was growing up, I was smaller and I was very quick. So I have the quick twitch, uh, but I became a man and so forth. And I have extremely long, I have long arms, big legs, big butt, right? Like, so I'm built to leverage. I'm, you know, I just, I, I definitely fell into what I was kind of like, that's an action that I'm, I'm able to do. And because I was quick and because I had strength and bat speed, I needed to find some sort of way to not be early. And so I need my hands and my, I need it to be away from me because my mm -hmm. arms are, are long and everything prior to, because when you see actually when the front foot steps down, most players look the same. Like that's where the load becomes and then you're ready to fire. Like a lot of people talk about punching, but you're ready to fire. And so that was something that just naturally morphed. I opened up because I'm right eye dominant and it allowed me to see clearer, you know, more clearly. And so everything prior to that, because I was a quick player, was to develop time prior to release. So I opened up so I could see and there's a, a simultaneous, whereas the front foot lands, my, my arms and, and hands are coming back. Mm -hmm. And then it allows me, and let's just make no mistake about it. I am swinging as hard as I can. <laughs> I mean, it is violent. I am trying to murder that ball. And so that is something that just gradually morphed, you know, over time. You also saw that I choked up, mm -hmm. right? Like I, I was a player that, that choked up. And the reason why I choked up is because that made the balance of the bat seem lighter to me. And I used a 34, 32 ounce bat and I would use it cupped where they take the top of the bat and they cup it. Like they, they take some of it out. And the reason why I did that was because that would allow me to get harder wood. 
we, we used ash back in that day and maple was coming, but I was an ash, you know, hitter. And so all of those things were through repetition and that's how it got that way. I wish it was a little bit less complex, but that was just through thousands and thousands of swings. And that was the way that I could find success. Oh, you had all the kids imitating that stance. You had, of course, the Bagwell one, uh, Biggio, but of course, Morgan Innsbury, I remember. Hands out. You got to get your hands away out. from me, man. You got to get your hands away. You got to see the ball. You got to get your hands out. And, and listen, you're trying to hit that ball over the mountains. Like, I'm trying to hit that ball. I, I'm, I'm trying to hit that ball over the train oh, at all God. times. <laughs> at all times. Visit Bobby Dynamite out there. Bobby Dynamite 100% of the time. <laughs> I want to hear the train. Definitely. Well, Morgan, that is all the time we have. Um, we really appreciate you, yes. like we were saying, having you on. Um, of course, everybody else, continue to follow us at Full Seam Ahead on the ticker below. If you haven't, subscribe to our channel. And, of course, y'all have a safe and happy new year. 2024 is coming. Uh, Morgan, like we said, thank, thank you me. again. Hey, thanks for having me and say hi to to all the Houston fans. I get in the chills again. I, I, I love them. And then, and, and I miss, I, I miss playing in front of them and seeing them. I want to go back and, and see a game. Maybe I'll sneak in there because nobody will recognize me anymore. It's awesome. And uh, just show up at the game and just sit who knows where like that. But I would love to go see a game again. I love that place. Definitely. Can't wait to have you back. But until then, I'll speak Spanish with everybody. <laughs> that'll that'll blow them away. <laughs> you want you want to speak your Spanish right now? Give it a little bit of. No, I I I'm 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 under the gun. I'm under the gun. <laughs> Me gusta aprender. <laughs> Until then, everybody, y'all have a safe and good one, and we'll talk to y'all in 2024.